Welcome to the MCG Pediatric Podcast. I am Nicole Locke, a pediatric resident at the Medical College of Georgia. Today we will be discussing the medical provider's role in educating families about the importance of breastfeeding. To help with our discussion, I am joined by Dr. Rebecca Pierce, who is one of our pediatric faculty members here at MCG. Dr. Pierce is also a board-certified IBCLC, or International Board-Certified Lactation Consultant at the Children's Hospital of Georgia. Welcome, Dr. Pierce. Thanks. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. On today's episode, we will specifically review guidelines and recommendations for breastfeeding, recognize common problems in breastfeeding, and discuss practical solutions, discuss breastfeeding benefits and contraindications, and review appropriate resources for breastfeeding mothers. Let's start our discussion with a clinical case. A one-week-old female infant presents to clinic for follow-up after discharge from the nursery. She was born full term with no reported complications during pregnancy or delivery with a normal newborn course. Mom is breastfeeding every two to three hours, but she is worried that her baby is not getting enough milk. This is mom's first baby. She is tearful in clinic because breastfeeding has been challenging. She is worried that the baby isn't sucking well and it is painful every time the baby latches. The infant's weight is 12% down from birth weight. She is ready to give up on breastfeeding and transition to formula. So, Dr. Pierce, how can we encourage this mother to continue breastfeeding? Great case, Nicole. This is a very common scenario we encounter as pediatricians, especially with first-time moms. Let's be honest. Breastfeeding is hard. While it is a natural way that humans feed their infants, it actually takes work and practice. So I can see how mothers, especially new mothers, may give up. Absolutely. We definitely can't have a discussion about breastfeeding without talking about why breast is best. Understanding the wonderful benefits for both the infant and mother will help providers know how to approach the mother who is ready to give up on breastfeeding. So the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends exclusive breastfeeding for at least six months. Afterwards, breastfeeding should continue until 12 months old or longer. That's right. This recommendation is also supported by the World Health Organization. What's interesting is that many other countries in the world actually breastfeed for longer due to the benefits of breastfeeding for both mother and baby. That's true. Actually, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, approximately 80% of mothers here in the United States initiate breastfeeding after birth. That's great. It is. So perhaps we are doing a decent job in the newborn nursery to encourage breastfeeding. However, unfortunately, the number of breastfeeding mothers drastically decreases as the baby ages. Only 50% of those moms continue to exclusively breastfeed at three months, and only 25% are exclusively breastfeeding at six months of age. That being said, 60% of infants at six months are receiving some breast milk, but are also receiving formula. Wow, that's a big drop. So why do you think that is? As natural as it is to breastfeed, it does not magically happen. Many women might not have the support or even the knowledge on how to breastfeed. There is a learning curve for both mom and baby. So what can we do as pediatricians to help? One thing to never do is to make the mothers feel guilty. Like I said, breastfeeding is hard. Provide positive reinforcement and the hope that it will get better. It is also helpful to discuss the numerous benefits of breastfeeding early, which might help to encourage mothers to keep going. Nicole, what are some benefits of breastfeeding that we can pass on to families? First for mom, breastfeeding helps decrease postpartum blood loss, reduces breast and ovarian cancer, and helps with an earlier return to pre-pregnancy weight. 
We should definitely be discussing these benefits right after delivery or even prior to delivery if possible. Agree. All of those benefits are so great for mothers, especially the cancer reduction. Did you know that each year of breastfeeding results in an approximate reduction in risk by 4.3%? Breastfeeding also has been shown to decrease mother's risk of type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and postpartum depression. Nicole, what are the benefits of breastfeeding for the baby? For the baby, breast milk has been shown to lower rates of growth failure and neurodevelopmental disabilities in premature babies. Breast milk also has been shown to help decrease the risk of multiple illnesses the longer the infant is breastfed. These include things like bacteremia, diarrhea, respiratory tract infections, necrotizing enterocolitis, otitis media, urinary tract infections, diabetes, lymphoma, leukemia, and childhood obesity. Yes! Studies show that any breastfeeding will reduce the incidence of illnesses like otitis media by 23%. But if the baby is breastfed for three months, the reduction of otitis media is 50%. Wow, that's really cool. Breastfeeding is also associated with a 36% reduced risk of sudden infant death syndrome, or SIDS. Necrotizing enterocolitis risk is reduced by 58% if there has been any breastfeeding. Wow, that's amazing. We should also mention the economic benefits of breastfeeding. I read that if 90% of women exclusively breastfed for six months, it would save $13 billion a year. This is because breastfeeding increases the overall infant health, which then results in decreases in sick office visits and fewer prescriptions are written in general. So true. Another barrier to breastfeeding that I have noticed is if there is poor family or social support. You bring up a great point. Working moms may not be able to preserve their breast milk supply if their workplace does not support the time and a designated place to pump breast milk. Many women are also embarrassed to breastfeed and have trouble finding a place to pump or breastfeed. I also know that unlike many other countries, here in the United States, there is no paid maternity leave requirement. This makes it very difficult for working mothers to stay home to take care of their baby and breastfeed due to financial constraints. Yes, this is a big obstacle to breastfeeding. I can see how this can be very discouraging for mothers. Yes, while we can't always control many of the barriers, it is important for us to encourage every mother to breastfeed for as long as they can. Even breastfeeding for the first days or weeks will provide immune benefits. Colostrum is the first form of milk produced after delivery and is full of immunoglobulins that mom can pass on to baby. Since this enhances immune support for the baby, we often refer to colostrum as the baby's first immunization. Great tips, Dr. Pierce. Let's talk about another common problem in clinic that affects breastfeeding, such as pain or discomfort, which can also increase the risk of discontinuing breastfeeding. These include sore nipples, engorged breasts, mastitis, and failure to latch. What tips are there for mothers? Like we have said several times, breastfeeding may not feel natural, especially for first-time moms. A woman should see a lactation consultant as quickly as possible to help with any breastfeeding problems. This ideally should occur while the mother is still in the hospital shortly after delivery. So what is a lactation consultant? A lactation consultant is like a coach that can observe and help to correct in real time any feeding difficulties that the mother or infant might be experiencing. There are two different certifications. First, a CLC, a Certified Lactation Counselor. CLCs provide clinical breastfeeding counseling and management support to families who are thinking about breastfeeding or have questions or problems during the course of breastfeeding and lactation. This requires 52 hours of education and a national test. 
There is also the IBCLC, the International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. This takes a minimum of 95 hours of education and 1,000 hours of clinical practice time before you are allowed to sit for an exam. What a great resource to have. So probably not every hospital or clinic has a lactation consultant always available. What are some good tips that I can do as a general provider to help the mom with breastfeeding? Yes, there are many practical things that a general provider can help with while waiting on the lactation consultant. Let's first talk about pain with breastfeeding. Many moms often complain of pain from breast engorgement. Engorgement usually happens during the first week after birth. This is normal and due to the changing hormone levels that cause the breast to swell and enlarge as milk production increases. Symptoms include swollen, firm, and painful-to-touch breasts. The skin might look shiny and feel stretched. Nipples might also become hard and flat, which makes it difficult for the infant to latch well. Yes, this certainly can be painful. How can these breastfeeding moms ease the pain? The most beneficial thing to help ease the pain from engorgement is for mothers to breastfeed frequently. That means breastfeeding at least every two to three hours during the newborn period. Engorgement may also be a sign that the infant is not getting enough. So counsel mothers to watch for cues from baby to know when to feed, including head turning, lip smacking, or sucking on hands. The good news is that breast engorgement will decrease as the body adjusts to the extra blood and fluids directed to the breast with increase in milk production. So Nicole, what about pain during breastfeeding? What do you think causes it? I know that pain with breastfeeding is often due to incorrect latching of the infant to the breast. Specifically, for the latch, you have taught me a few things, including the baby needs to have a wide mouth to grasp the breast to get a good latch. There is also the sandwich method to help place the breast in the mouth. This is where you compress the breast tissue like you are holding a sandwich to help fit the breast into the mouth. This helps get a deeper latch for the baby instead of having them only on the nipple. What other tips do you have for improving the latch? Glad to hear you remembered my tips. There are also different ways that the mother can hold the infant to facilitate proper latching. The cradle hold is where you hold the infant across your chest with your arm, while the cross cradle hold is where you hold the baby with the opposite arm across your chest. There is also the football hold with the baby along your side or the side lying positions where the baby and the mother are lying down side to side. It may take a few times trying all of these different holds before both mother and baby find the most comfortable position. Remember, that's okay. Be encouraging to these moms. It takes practice. What about when the breast has redness, tenderness, lumps, or hard spots? This usually is mastitis or blocked ducts, which can be extremely painful and concerning to moms. These are also very common problems, but the treatment is similar for both. Nurse frequently, rest, and apply heat. If it continues to worsen despite this treatment, moms may need antibiotic therapy for the infection and should talk to her doctor for further management. Dr. Pierce, what about the use of pacifiers and breastfeeding? Will a baby not breastfeed if they use a pacifier? That's another common question that comes up. My opinion is that it is a personal choice. If a mom feels like her child does not latch as well due to a pacifier, she does not have to use one. But just give the facts. Pacifier use is actually associated with a reduced incidence of sudden infant death syndrome, or SIDS. Again, I leave it up to the parents. Good to know. So what about mothers who have difficulty with latch and decide to pump breast milk? How can they help increase their supply? For all breastfeeding mothers, whether they are pumping or nursing, the best thing to do is to pump often. 
When you discuss breastfeeding, don't forget to educate moms on importance of also taking care of themselves. Mothers need to eat and drink a lot of fluids to help increase their volume. And don't forget to counsel moms on adequate sleep. Yes, it's so tempting to get other things done when the baby is sleeping. Remind moms to rest when the baby is resting, especially since the baby is eating at least every two to three hours. So another question I get in clinic is mothers who are worried that their baby is not getting enough from breast milk. I think that's why they are so tempted to supplement with formula. So Dr. Pierce, just how much milk should a mother expect to produce? Usually, a mother will make one to one and a quarter ounces per hour. Remember to reassure breastfeeding moms to not stress about the amount as long as the baby is gaining weight and having good stools and wet diapers. Great point. There are definitely objective things that you can review with moms who are worried that their baby is not getting enough nutrition. First, review the growth chart with mom. If the baby is demonstrating appropriate rate of growth, then they are likely getting an appropriate amount. Pre- and post-feed weights can be helpful to show that the babies are getting milk during a feed. Another easy and objective way for mothers to monitor is how many stools and wet diapers the infant is having in a day. Nicole, what's the rule of thumb that we teach you about wet and dirty diapers? So if urine diaper numbers are high, about at least 8, then likely the baby is getting enough milk to grow. But that amount may not occur until the end of the first week of life. For that first week of life, the rule of thumb is that the urine diaper numbers should at least equal the day of life number of the baby. And for stools, by day of life four, babies should have about four stools a day. Great job, Nicole. Remember to also educate families that after the passage of meconium, stools will change in texture and color. Stools should no longer be meconium black, but should be brown, green, or mustard yellow. It may also have a seedy texture and appearance, which is normal. How about breast milk storage? This is especially important for moms who are about to go back to work. So how long is it safe to store breast milk? Breast milk can stay out at room temperature for four hours. It can also stay in a refrigerator for four days or in a deep freezer for six to 12 months. Great advice. Okay, let's move on to another clinical case. A one-month-old infant presents to clinic for a weight check. He is progressing well in regards to growth. When you review his feeding regimen with mom, she reports that she is nursing every two to three hours but supplementing with formula a couple times during the day. She is thinking about transitioning to all formula because she is too tired to keep up with nursing. She also thinks he can get better nutrition from formula. Mom also says that all her friends formula feed their infants and they all seem to be doing fine. So some women choose not to breastfeed for cultural or family reasons. If a woman has limited exposure to other mothers who have experience with breastfeeding, they may not have the support to continue on. There is also a perception that formula might be a better option due to aggressive marketing by infant formula companies. Yes, I've noticed that labels on infant formula include words like neuroprotective and soothing. It's helpful to remind mothers that formula is trying to imitate breast milk, but nothing will ever replace the wonderful benefits of human milk. That's a really good point. It must be very difficult for mothers to decide what to do after delivery, especially if they do not have support or education on breastfeeding. It really is, and unfortunately, even hospital workers and medical professionals do not know enough about breastfeeding to help support women. This is another area we need to work on. We know mothers usually decide in the first trimester how they will feed their baby. This is a great opportunity for us to partner with our OB colleagues to provide information to women early in their pregnancy about the benefits of breastfeeding. So there isn't always enough time in a busy clinic to thoroughly review breastfeeding. So what resources can I provide to mothers? That's a good question. 
While there are perhaps many online resources out there, not all are both parent-friendly and evidence-based. I do have some that I tend to refer to families. La Leche League is an organization that provides in-person education and encouragement for mothers. This is especially helpful for first-time mothers. Another website I like is Kelly Mom. This website has good breastfeeding advice and parenting tips. The American Academy of Pediatrics also has a section on their website called Mother's Guide to Breastfeeding. Womenshealth.gov is a federal website that answers questions and gives tips on breastfeeding. Let's also remind our listeners to not forget about the Women, Infants, and Children program known as WIC. Local offices may offer peer counselors who are mothers that have previously breastfed a child and experienced WIC benefits. These counselors provide in-person home education and assistance for breastfeeding. Yes, WIC is a wonderful local resource. Now, Dr. Pierce, what about resources to help physicians educate families about breastfeeding? Do you have any good suggestions? Good point, Nicole. Many medical providers have limited training on breastfeeding. There are some really great resources for physicians. For example, the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine Protocols are guidelines for the care of breastfeeding mothers and infants. Most are in many languages as well. The AAP's Breastfeeding Handbook for Physicians and the AAP Resident Breastfeeding Curriculum are also great resources. There are also some great reference apps that you can download to your phone such as LactMed, which is an app that looks at drugs and chemicals that mom can be exposed to while breastfeeding and explains any adverse effects in a nursing infant. Infant Risk is another app that provides up-to-date and evidence-based information on medications and their safety during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Great stuff. Okay, let's talk about some special considerations about breastfeeding and breast milk. The first one I'd like to talk about is breastfeeding if a child is jaundiced. This question comes up when a newborn is admitted for phototherapy to treat unconjugated hyperbilirubinemia. You can definitely still breastfeed if the baby is jaundiced and being treated for hyperbilirubinemia. A baby can be removed from phototherapy lights to breastfeed as long as the baby gets put back under the lights immediately after feeds. There are even some phototherapy options that allow the baby to be wrapped in lights to get the phototherapy during breastfeeding sessions. We should also mention another cause of jaundice, which is breast milk jaundice. Breast milk jaundice is hyperbilirubinemia in a breastfed infant that usually occurs after the first week of life. It is not exactly known why the bilirubin is slightly elevated in breast milk jaundice, but it resolves spontaneously over time. Breastfeeding does not need to be discontinued due to breast milk jaundice. Of course, we always need to figure out why the baby is jaundiced. For example, a preterm baby with poor feeding and immature liver may increase the risk of an infant having jaundice. This could be either due to poor latching technique or insufficient feedings. Again, these moms need to be watched during a breastfeeding session with instruction given to improve the latch or possibly add supplement initially with ideally from pumped milk. Let's move on and discuss the potential contraindications to breastfeeding. There are some instances where breastfeeding is contraindicated, though it is rare. These include infants with galactosemia or other metabolic disorders. Maternal factors that make breastfeeding a contraindication include a mother who is positive for human T-cell lymphotrophic virus type 1 or 2, mothers with active untreated tuberculosis or those with active herpes simplex lesions on the breast should also not breastfeed, mothers who develop varicella five days before through two days after delivery should be separated from their infant to decrease the risk of transmission, but their express milk can be used for feeding. What about HIV-positive mothers? 
So HIV positive mothers should not breastfeed when there is an alternative means of nutrition such as formula. However, for those in developing countries, HIV positive mothers may breastfeed if the benefit outweighs the risk of acquiring HIV. Good to know. Breastfeeding is not contraindicated in hepatitis B or hepatitis C positive mothers or those mothers who are carriers of cytomegalovirus. That's right. There is no need to delay breastfeeding in those infants born to hepatitis B infected mothers. However, these infants should receive hepatitis B immune globulin and the first dose of the hepatitis B vaccine within 12 hours of birth. The second dose of vaccine should be given at age one to two months and the third dose at age six months. The infant should be tested after completion of the vaccine series at age nine to 12 months to confirm the absence of hepatitis B virus. For hepatitis C, there is no documented evidence that breastfeeding spreads hepatitis C virus. Therefore, having HCV infection is not a contraindication to breastfeeding. Don't forget that hepatitis C is spread by infected blood. So if a hepatitis C positive mother's nipples or the surrounding areola are cracked or bleeding, she should stop nursing and express and discard the breast milk temporarily until it's healed. Great job, Nicole. So Dr. Pierce, let's move on and talk about breastfeeding for mothers that have a positive drug screen. We know that street drugs like PCP, cocaine, and cannabis can be detected in human milk. Cocaine is an absolute contraindication as it may lead to seizures in the infant. So yes, the mother should avoid breastfeeding if there is an alternative form of nutrition available. What about tobacco smoke use in mothers? Mothers who smoke tobacco should be encouraged to quit and cessation aid should be offered, but the benefits to baby for breastfeeding may outweigh the risk. So I know that a lot of studies are being done about cannabis or marijuana use. A recent study in March of 2021 in JAMA Pediatrics found that THC stays in breast milk for six weeks. Currently, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine recommend abstaining from marijuana use during pregnancy and while a mother is breastfeeding. Care must be taken in each case of substance abuse to determine the benefits and risk to each baby. What about alcohol? We know that alcohol during pregnancy can cause fetal alcohol syndrome in the fetus, but can there be problems with alcohol in breast milk? There are safe ways for a breastfeeding mother to enjoy an occasional alcoholic drink and not pose risk to the baby. A good rule of thumb is to have two hours between drinking and breastfeeding for each standard drink. For example, one glass of wine or a 12-ounce beer or one-ounce spirit. Ideally, the breastfeeding mother should have a drink right after a breastfeed so the alcohol level in her blood will be at a minimal level before the next feed. Great tips, Dr. Pierce. Okay, so we can't complete our topic today without discussing a current hot topic, which is vaccine immunity from COVID-19, also known as SARS-CoV-2. Although we are in the midst of collecting data on this virus, providers still need to be equipped to counsel families. You bring up a good point. The advice we give today may be different after more research and data is collected. What has been shown in early studies is that COVID-19 antibodies are seen in breast milk both after vaccination and after infection. That's right. An article published in JAMA in April of 2021 showed that SARS-CoV-2 specific IgA and IgG antibodies in breast milk were present for six weeks after vaccination in mothers. IgA secretion was seen as early as two weeks after vaccination, with a spike of IgG seen four weeks after vaccination. This is strong evidence that breast milk contains specific antibodies that can be passed to the infant to provide immunity. 
It is very important for mothers to know that they can help give antibodies to their infants with breast milk. More research needs to be done, but the early studies are very promising on the benefits. Well, it's time to wrap up today's episode. Let's quickly summarize the highlights of today's discussion. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends exclusive breastfeeding for at least six months. Afterwards, breastfeeding should continue until 12 months old or longer. Remember that breastfeeding is not easy. It takes time and coordination between both mother and baby. Provide positive reinforcement, especially for first-time breastfeeding mothers. There are so many benefits for both mother and baby from breastfeeding and breast milk. Use these benefits as a part of the education to encourage breastfeeding as long as possible. When breastfeeding is painful or difficult, a lactation specialist can help address problems as soon as possible. There are a variety of resources for both parents and providers to encourage and assist breastfeeding. It's important to understand the contraindications to breastfeeding to appropriately counsel mothers. And finally, early studies demonstrate that COVID-19 antibodies are seen in breast milk both after vaccination and after infection. Dr. Pierce, thank you so much for joining me to discuss this very important topic today. Thanks. I enjoyed our discussion. An additional thanks to Dr. Katherine McLeod and Dr. Amy Thompson and Dr. Rebecca Yang, who provided peer review of today's discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Department of Pediatrics at the Medical College of Georgia. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can email us at mcgpediatricpodcast at augusta.edu. Remember that all content during this episode is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be used as medical advice to diagnose or treat any particular patient. No sponsors or products were utilized for this podcast, and all recommendations are solely based off of personal experience. Clinical vignette cases presented are based on hypothetical patient scenarios. Free CME credit is available for this episode. We look forward to speaking to you on our next episode of the MCG Pediatric Podcast.